week with more stories. But before we get started, there's a little bit of a scheduling change. I know I had promised on social media that this week would be a return of EMS partner James from the first episode, The Flying Snake. Well, there is a little bit of editing issues, and that episode is going to require a little more TLC than I had expected. This podcast is a one-woman show, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. As a medical person, I knew nothing about sound recording or audio editing before I started this six months ago, so sometimes there are some bumps in the road. (laughs) That being said, one of my New Year's resolutions is to focus more on the podcast and spreading the word even more, but I could use your help. So if you like the podcast or you really like a certain episode, please share it on your social media or not on social media, but I feel like that would be a little bit more difficult. It would mean a lot to me and maybe one day I could actually get someone to help me out with all of this or someone that actually knows how to edit audio. Uh, That would be really great. This episode features a firefighter paramedic couple, Rich and Mira, and came about after Rich heard our second episode. So he is a true listener from the beginning. And he found out about the podcast after it was shared by guests from episode two, AJ. So Sharon can have a huge impact. And I can't wait to see where the podcast goes in 2019 and what's going to be in store next. And of course, please leave us some reviews. It helps as always. All right, time for me to stop talking and let Mira and Rich take over. Hi, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. (laughs) So you guys actually both worked at the same company that I worked at, although different times and actually probably at the same time, but just different bases because it was just such a big place. It is entirely lucky that we are entirely possible that we were actually out of the same base, but different days, just given some of the stories that I've heard you tell. So I've, I've been, I, I play a game when I listen, cause I listen to the podcast and I love the podcast. Um, but I play this game of, you know, find, figure out that spot. So, <laughs> but yeah, so, and, and we definitely know some people in common, although I don't think that I've ever actually met you in person. So this is really very cool to get to be talking to you. <laughs> and we still have not met in person. Although I think we have, I think we have definitely, you know, it's one of those things like you're like, I know that name from a schedule. Yes. <laughs> but I, and I think we've said hello in like ambulance bays at like 3.30 in the morning or something. Right. But it's been like, yeah. And it's like, don't talk to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I hate the world right now. If you're seeing me at 3.30 in the morning, either you're in my ambulance or you're next to it. And I don't really want to be seeing anything. I need to be going back to bed as soon as I can. Yeah. I'm wearing glasses on overnights. If I'm wearing glasses, nobody should be seeing me. <laughs> yep, I'm That's in the like same. A... <laughs> <laughs> That's your clue to stay away. Yeah, it's actually funny that you mention um, that Mira's mentioning that she had probably been in the same base as you. I know that you and I had emailed back and forth, and we talked about. Uh, I don't know if it was a common partner we had, but it was someone who we said that. Oh yeah, I love that guy. I worked with someone for at least a year who told me, I think he told me about you because he told me about, Oh, this really great EMT, but then she's gone into the national guard and I haven't seen her in a while. National guard, right? Reserves. Excuse me. Yeah. I don't, did you work with him or did you just. Yeah. Like, so I worked with him when he was brand new when he was BLS. Cause he used to be like a barista. Yep. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, it was great to work with him because you wound up getting free stuff. If you went to the right place and they knew him, they were like, oh, sure, no problem. And by the way, what do you want? <laughs> so <laughs> funny, we got tasked to like go help this EMT class at this like big university once. And this is like a real, so this is like a hoity-toity kind of university in the area. And uh, they wanted to see an ambulance because one of the... <laughs> oh, God. So this was their BLS class. This is like their EMT course at the university. Oh, my God. And one of their instructors had worked for our company. And so, of course, me being the cynical bitch that I am showed up and it's these like starry-eyed EMT students <laughs> at this very coddled university. And they're like, what is the best thing about being an EMT? And I was like... 70% off it's ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> 70%. Whoa. You, when I was working there, it was only half. It was like, I don't know. At the time, it was really good. This was, it was a steal. Was a while ago. It was a yeah. steal. So interestingly, my, uh, my Friday partner wasn't much of a foodie. He always packed his lunch. So I never really got to know the good places to eat. What a loser. On Fridays. I know. But my Tuesday partner, we ate through the 24. And that, like, you know, that's a brutal 24. Um, But I figured out every best place to eat because my senior partner was that that's it was, you know, do a call, get a snack, do a call, get another snack. So he introduced (laughs) you to Bon Me. The man is exactly the the only good thing to come out of the French Vietnamese conflict in his words. Um, (laughs) But it's a two dollar sandwich. You can't beat that. And it tastes amazing. (laughs) It's so good. So did you guys meet in EMS? I mean, that would no. be the logical assumption, but it's not the correct assumption. Okay. Well, no, I mean, well, it, sort of. does our very small town fire department uh, count as EMS? Because they sure like to think sure, they do. Sort of. Oh, Richard. Sorry. Um. <laughs> That's when I know I'm in trouble. <laughs> We're not throwing shade at volunteer departments Oh, no. Here. No, my God. No, we started on one. And we I'm are still, still on one. Still on one. So I can't. You are the department. You, right? Well, it's eh, it's so no, we met not. we met the second class of the new recruit session. They, you know, they recruit new call firefighters. Um, as I recall, Rich missed the first night because it was the week of the fair and he was working the fair. But we met <laughs> when we both joined our Can I, can I just make one fire very, very important distinction here? I worked for the fair, not at the fair. He's very particular about that. Well. (laughs) Assistant to the general manager. No, no. (laughs) The assistant (laughs) to the assistant general manager. No. no. (laughs) Good reference. And so interestingly, my dad also joined the fire department at that same time. And so that, that is how we met. And we were, you know, friends for a good two years before we started, you know, dating and whatnot. But yeah, so we were colleagues on the fire department or coworkers, colleagues sounds very fancy. <laughs> and, you know, we, neither of us had like any real, well, you always wanted to be a firefighter, but for me, like my dad had been a victim at one of the training nights because they put out a call, the town had put out a call for, you know, we need human people to play victims for this MCI drill they were doing. And, um, he got to talking to the chief and the chief was like, oh, well, we're looking for good people. And at the time I had, uh, you know, two small kids and I had wanted to go to nursing school, but, you know, kids and uh, kind of a not awesome marriage and somebody else's own career aspirations got put first. Mm-hmm. 
So I was like, oh, well, this is something I can do that, you know, will get me out of the house and it's sort of medical and, you know, okay, sure, I'll do this. This sounds like fun. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, <laughs> none. But it, getting trapped into. Right, exactly. But, you know, then it turned into, you know, a job when I needed a job when I got divorced and, you know, the town, the town pays for your EMT training so that they have EMTs on the department. And then we both went to medical school from there. And, you know, the past decade has been pretty much all EMS all the time, because now that the teenager was diagnosed with type one two weeks after we got our medic tickets. Mm. So, um, you know, we kind of live, we live crisis to crisis a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Accurate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Going going back to what Mira was saying, like how I'd always wanted to be a firefighter. My dad was a firefighter uh, in the same little town, uh, but he was still a firefighter and he was very, it was, my dad didn't have a lot of things that he was super duper passionate about, but he was very always a big supporter of the fire department. And because he had me when I, when he was a lot older, um, he had to retire from the fire department when I was a little guy. So, in fact, when I was our son's age now, and he, uh, you know, but he, he always, yeah, sorry. And he always <laughs> supported, you know, he was a big fan of fire departments. Always we'd go to the musters, we'd check out stuff like that. You know, musters, you don't even see musters anymore. And, um, yeah, the teenagers looking at me like, "What is a muster?" I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Did you and- say mustard? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I love that on my hot dogs. Well, too. now now she knows because she's well, on yeah. the, the fire explorers, the junior like firefighting. <laughs> program that they have, which is kind of cool. It's like all in the That's family. Awesome. So did you grow up? You So Rich, you grew up in Buxford. Mira, you didn't grow up in Yes. I did not grow up in Buxford. I grew up in Lexington. <laughs> so, but I actually kept my horse that I showed a picture of in the Facebook page. Shameless plug for the Facebook page. But um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kept my horse. And when I first got him, when I was like, this was like 1997. So you know, we probably crossed paths at some point, like in the local, you know, the village store, because this place has village stores. Based on the fact that there's only one store, I'm pretty sure that we had to cross paths at some point. It blows my mind that we wouldn't have met until like, Mira and I have talked about this, our relationship, as we talked about places we'd been and what we'd done, we like glanced off of each other numerous times. We had to have glanced off of each other numerous times before we finally actually met on the fire department. Hi, I'm Mira. Hi, I'm Rich. You know, nice to meet you type of thing. It was <laughs> it was a really, the, the universe was almost like pulling us towards each other and then like, no, you're not ready yet and pushing us back yeah. away from each other until we were finally both ready. It was very interesting. <laughs> there were like karmic lessons that needed to be learned first. Accurate. <laughs> Well, we won't talk about small towns and horses. You mentioned that you were at the fair, working at the fair, your first day of class. So I live down here in in D.C. and I grew up in the town that you work in. And so people are like, where are you from in Massachusetts? And I say, you haven't heard of it. And people go, try me. And I go, I say the name and they're like, I don't know it. I'm like, well, there's fair. And they're like, oh, I don't know that I've heard of that. And I go, See, it's a town that's so small that I relate it to a fair that's sometimes there in the next town over. So it's tiny. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that fair, but I was wearing a sweatshirt from the fair because I worked there forever. So I have I have more pieces of clothing from that place than any other thing on in my entire like wardrobe. But I was wearing a sweatshirt from there like 
I don't know, five states away one time. And this guy goes, oh, oh, not fair. Hey, hey, do you know? And I'm like, of course, of course this would happen because it's such a, <laughs> the, 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 the fair is such a small community. Do you know so-and-so? Of course I know so-and-so. Yeah, everyone knows so-and-so. You know, it's like <laughs> it's like EMS. You, yeah, you, know, you it really is. Can like spit with the wind, and you're still gonna hit somebody you know. Oh yeah, yeah. If you've done EMS in a state, you're like, yeah, yeah. I know somebody. Yep. A six degrees of separation is like actually like two in EMS. Yeah, or one and a half, depending on you know who they were really friendly with. So I was gonna <laughs> say I I had a whole conversation about who was Eskimo brothers with who recently, and I was like, it, dude. First of all, this kid was 23, um, and I'm like, bro, um, it, it, we're, we're, you're 23. Trust me when I tell you, that only gets, like, to be a smaller number of humans as you go. Like, it doesn't work this way. Like, <laughs> so you bring up an interesting point. There's a lot of relationships in EMS. There are. There are. Not a lot of them are long-lasting, but there are a lot of relationships in EMS. My ex-husband was a paramedic. Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah. <laughs> but it makes sense, you know? Because, like... I mean, obviously, you. I'm talking to you. You know, but like, it makes sense because you you work these crazy hours. You're gone for at least 24 hours for a shift, often, and then you're like, "Oh, I just saw all this fucked up shit," or not even fucked up shit, but just like, "Dude, someone threw a snake at me in a swamp today." <laughs> like, who, that was so great. <laughs> who else is going to relate to that except another person in emergency medicine? Yeah. Like. Yeah. Oh my God. So, <laughs> other otherwise, no one else gets it. Yeah. I find um I find what was really for a, when we were both BLS, we had one day that we both worked different divisions, but the same, pretty much the same shift. It was offset by an hour, but then one of us worked at twenty four on Tuesday, one of us worked at twenty four on Wednesday, and so that kind of like weekend work weekend away was weird because you know you don't you don't have any contact really except for your phone but then when we upgraded and we both got on medic trucks um we were actually partners on the same shift for more than a year not near right the tail away. end of it we were always yeah not we weren't two junior medics but within a year of getting our tickets we were partners on the same truck were you married at the time or dating or well we we so we weren't married yet we were dating yeah we we were we were dating. We were living the together. I mean, we were, it was like yeah. yeah. I mean, we've been together God, almost eight years now, and yeah. um, we when we were we, we the entire time we were both working for the company, we were together. We got our EMT tickets. We were kind of you know, I'll call it courting, yeah. and that you know if I'm going to be a super old man here, courting and colleagues, man, right? <laughs> you're elevating my podcast. Well, do what we do what we can, Christine. <laughs> um, but we, um, we were getting together. How's that? Does that sound better? And then we, uh, no. uh right. <laughs> so while we were recording, um, and then like, actually I got my EMT ticket and Mira was in the very next class and I kind of helped teach her class and the instructor in the class, uh, actually kind of had this running joke or maybe it wasn't a joke, but he was like, you know, Rich, you did really well in the class. You got the highest grade ever in the class until Mira was in the class. And well, now she got the highest grade ever in the class. I'm not great. Thanks. But at the same time I was helping teach. The great news was I got con ed credits for that. The other good news was, you know, it helped us firm up our relationship a little bit. And then when we started working together mm -hmm. on the ambulance, it was kind of like we could go back and have this back knowledge. Back to fire that, days. Yeah. 
go back and go. Yeah, that's a good point too. Going back to the fire department stuff. Oh, which was actually something I had meant to mention when you were talking about how we got started on the fire department. My dad was on the fire department when I, it, it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. I had a lot of jobs, but no careers leading up until this time. And when I would ever finally walk back into that fire department or that fire station, it was like, oh, the smell, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is it. This is this right here. Somehow I'm supposed to be involved in this. And it took me a long time to like solidify that almost 10 years to really like solidify that. But finally got the job I wanted ever since I was a little kid. What I wanted to be when I grew up <laughs> was what I wanted to be all along. <laughs> yeah. So was it ever weird working with your significant other on the truck? Like I could not work with, like, I love my boyfriend. I could not work with him. We hear that I, a lot. Like we, we get told that a lot. Oh my God, I could never work with, with my spouse. And even, um, the, the town, the municipal department that's transporting that we work at people like I, I do, I read a lot of the reports for CQI and stuff like that. And people are like, Oh my God, well you can't read his. And I'm like, you don't understand how I can compartmentalize <laughs> like the same compartmentalization that keeps me from running into the woods screaming, like <laughs> just over life in general is the same compartmentalization that allows me to work with my husband and either, you know, let it be his tech or no, dude, it's my tech. This is my call. And we're doing it my way. Not to be like, you know what I mean? Because we started as colleagues, it's never been weird. Because for me, at least, and, and I won't speak for Rich, but for me, I can really easily shut off the that's my husband and switch to that's my partner. Because we've been partners prior. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. I don't know. I'm good at I'm good at that, like putting it into a neat little box and keeping it way over there. I think probably a lot of relationships would be a little bit better if you treat someone more as a partner than a spouse. Yeah. That's probably accurate. I, I will agree with Mira completely too. Like it, our, our relationship, I've had enough jobs where I worked with a partner in the past that, you know, this is the person who's in the truck with me and we're going to need to work together on this because ultimately, occasionally someone's life is actually at stake here. And it's more important to do what's right for that person than to, oh God, I can't believe you didn't pick up the dog poop this morning or something like that. You know, it's, it's way right. more important to deal with what we're dealing with. And there've, I mean, there've definitely been times where, and, and I've been very lucky that like 98% of the partners that I've worked with on a truck, I've really trusted and had a wonderful relationship with. And I call them, you know, like we all have work wives and work husbands. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I've been super lucky to have wonderful work husbands, but there's a certain, and, and some people I think maybe would call it a liability, but like the first house fire that I ever responded for, I was on the attack line and Rich was pumping. And so, and at that time we were, we were just, just starting to like, <laughs> you know, be like, Hey, Hey, but to, you know, then be in like EMS scenarios where shit was going sideways. And I know that my partner absolutely has my back. Yeah. And so that I, you know, I, I kind of strive to have all of my work relationships have that level of trust. And I would also point out that, um, yes, I completely will have her back on, you know, we've got someone who's having a psychotic delusion, not a psychotic delusion. Uh, he's having 
some sort of excited delirium from, you know, drugs oh that he God. took or whatever it may be. <laughs> that was and this wild. dude has <laughs> punched two of us in the face, kicked two of us in the nuts and thrown one of us off of him. And the police and, and the fire department. the first line that I put in him. And the police and the fire department have oh, left God. us because they were like, hey, he's in your ambulance now. See ya. And we're like, yeah, hey. he must be sick here. And we're, I'm sorry? <laughs> like, oh, he's in the ambulance. He must be secure. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> he's fine. There's nowhere he can go, uh, actually. And, you know, and then, you know, knowing that clinically, Mira absolutely knows her shit. Yes, we were still both junior medics, but like, I had no question of her abilities. And, you know, the great thing about it was, like you said, the it was it was four of us because there was a B, this, the town we were working in would dispatch an ALS and a BLS. So we both, we got sent out and the crew that we were working with was another pair of people that were wonderful. And like, you know, we have great relationships with both of them to this day, you know, and it's, this is a job that does not let you work by yourself, man. Like you absolutely have to trust your team. But I, I, I I really value that, you know, I, I like to say that Mira is the I won't say she's the senior medic to us. It's funny because our medic numbers are offset by one and hers is one lower than mine, which <laughs> technically does make her the senior paramedic. It's only because I finished the written first. We took it the same day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I know that like clinically, like Mira is protocol girl. Like she can, she can, I won't say she can recite them to you, but she knows every single one of them just front to back. If I were a superhero, I would have a pee on my cape. Although I'm telling you, the Invincibles really made me consider this whole cape thing. So. <laughs> nope. No capes. No capes. <laughs> they get stuck in ambulance doors, you know? Yeah, you wouldn't want that. You, they can get pulled by Sykes. Yeah. Right? Oh exactly. It's like my own. For the longest time, I had a long braid and, you know, the particular base that, that you couldn't mm. go to with your hair down at all. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Up, up, up. Uh-huh. Yeah, keep it up. <laughs> I, I never, ever wear my hair down. One, I'm lazy. Um, but two, people are like, you never wear your hair down. It's like I was in the military and then I worked at this place where you were not allowed to wear it down. Like I, I didn't own a straightener for like 10 years because you just – you weren't allowed to. Right. Like I just – didn't do it. The queen of the <laughs> I am the queen of the braid that I can then put into a low pony. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I think that it was? And this is going to sound a little salty. Um, oh, this. But, uh, I can't <laughs> wait to hear this. <laughs> oh, boy. So I'm ready for it. <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of the things that you ask for to have bad things that you're quote unquote asking for, if you got hurt by a patient, they could point to, even if you didn't get your hair grabbed, they could point to, well, you had a, you know, a ponytail for them to grab or something that made it your fault, which therefore, you know, it, it wasn't the job. They didn't, they would look for the out to not have to pay, you know, workman's comp or whatever. It's just that oh, whole, yeah. you know, culture of, of. When I started there, women weren't allowed to be partners. Really? On in nine one one trucks, yeah. Wow! How fascinating. Because let me tell. So my very first day as a paramedic, the two calls that I did, one was a dialysis return, and I have zero shame because every ALS truck is a BLS truck on the inside. But the other one was a female required section twelve, which is a psych um, 
yeah. transfer for anyone outside of Massachusetts. Yes, outside yeah. of Massachusetts. But because, and there's that entire like heteronormative assumption that I'm not gay, that my patient isn't gay, that a woman can't inflict trauma on other women, like just the that entire, um, right. that whole policy of having to have women for women's psychs drove me insane. And, you know, like, I, I think the teenager has actually said that that we're one of the few parents who uses heteronormative in like daily conversation with our kids. But, <laughs> well, we, um, we have good reason for all of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, just trying not to be an asshole. Yeah. Well, so kind of a funny aside, when this person that we were talking about, this owner of this company, I when I first started working there a long, long time ago, um, my grandmother, I was at a I was at a family function and my little Italian grandmother uh, goes, oh, you're working there. She's second cousins of mine or something, oh, oh, my married glory. in or something. Little Italian Catholic grandmother. She's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I go, oh, yeah. Wow. I, never I had, agree. I, I never had the pleasure of meeting her. But have anywho. you found, <laughs> you know, everyone has like emergency mode, like they get, they go into like their work mode. Do you find that you guys like will go into like, okay, we're work mode, but like in marriage stuff, you're like, nope, this is serious. We're dealing with like a crisis or something like you use those paramedic skills like in your normal marriage life. Uh, well, we do with my teenager's health because, uh, you know, when, when she's no longer coherent, if she's, you know, having a really bad low. Yeah. Then it's it becomes, you know, here's this clinical presentation and what do we need to do about it? Yeah. Um, and it was actually very interesting talking about compartmentalizing. It was really interesting to me that like both and bringing it back actually to my grandpa, both when my daughter was diagnosed and then when our family members were ailing and then dying around the same time, my personal coping is to go into that emergency scene mode and make it super clinical. And yeah. like I had her her very first endocrinologist called me out the morning that she was diagnosed and she was like I don't need a report on your daughter. Mm. Like like I need you to be her mother for a minute and not a clinician. Yeah. But that was the only way that I could handle it. And it's you know funny too like everybody has the things that they don't deal with on scene. Yep. Like I don't eviscerations I don't care. I opened a car door once and somebody's jaw fell on my foot, eh, NBD, but digital injuries, fingers, yeah, toes, can't do it. Like those, that's my, that's, I, I lost a, a toenail in a trauma once. And so I am forever scarred. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's, just, it's the worst. It's no, I can't. But you know, when we were doing clinicals, we would have the finger amputations come into the hospital because of the summer and the lawnmowers. And so I had to get super clinical and like, okay, what nerve am I looking at right now? Mm -hmm. That, you know, just go into what do I see? How do I treat it? That mode is like how I just deal with shit that I don't really want to deal with. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that like we do that necessarily relationship wise, but you can always tell for me, um, I get very please and thank you when I'm when when it's bad when I know that a patient is circling the drain or that like there's an urgent situ situation it's you know can you suction this please yep and then th like that that's my and I think Rich 
I, I mean, you can probably confirm or deny, oh, but like I, that's I how confirm. my partners know that I think this is bad. Is I'm wicked polite, and I'm I get I'm not very that I'm polite saying too. I'm not yeah. nice, but like I'm not that polite usually. <laughs> it's a it's like a very measured politeness. Yes. It is yes. a very precise. I would like you to get the suction now, please. Exactly. As opposed to, yep. hey, can you grab the suction? It is that ex- every single word is measured and you mean each thing that you say because you yes. are flipping out and you don't want to say something you don't want to, you don't mean. But then there's also economy of time yeah. so that you're being very clear in your communication. Right. right. No one can misunderstand you because you can't afford it. And not at, not so much at work, um, but like at home it'll be, you know, we get through this emergent situation by just pretending that we're on scene. Um, and then after is when you get to come undone. Yeah. You know, like there's no coming undone during because that doesn't do any good. No. no, <laughs> you no know? I would say that the primary time that, I mean, and, and like Nara said, the primary time that my paramedic comes out at home is when we have to check her blood sugar in the overnight and her blood sugar is 34 or something like that. And she's, mm not the most compliant patient when her blood sugar is 34, um, possibly swinging at you and calling you all sort I mean, the, the, we the, have lang- colorful mouth. the language that comes out of this <laughs> kid, I, I would say that I don't know where she gets it, except I know exactly where she got it. She got it from the both of us. Um, and she like, I mean, and, and periodically it's been like, Hey, kiddo, I need to check your blood sugar. No, I'm going to do it. Uh, no, I, I actually need to like, you know, we need to like make sure that this is okay and I'm not sure I can, you know, have you doing it right now. No, fuck you. I'm doing it. And like, there's been a couple times where I'm like, hey, I'm doing this. Deal with it. And she just puts her hand out. Fine. You know, like, and, and at that point, it that's what I need you to do. It's it's a little bit of a, and and this is more of my thing than Mira's thing. And it's, it goes with all three of the kids. Like, hey, I don't care how you feel about what I'm telling you. I'm telling you what I'm telling you because I need the thing done. Like, what the way you feel about it is irrelevant. And the way I feel about it is irrelevant. The fact that it needs to get done is the important thing. So let's get on that. Um, and that's maybe that's even more of a military, feel, you know, uh, piece of uh, part of my brain that, that just I kicks in. I find that incredible. Incredibly ironic that you're uh, that you're like having this. I'm I'm not invalidating your experience, dear, but I'm the mean parent. (laughs) 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 But that's okay. Um, No, to to come back to when she's really combative. um, The thing that I always remember when she's swearing at me is that the next step after swearing is when she doesn't talk anymore, and that scares me more. Right. That's always like a crying baby is a breathing baby. So I'd rather. Exactly. Exactly. A swearing diabetic is still a conscious diabetic. So we have time to give her chocolate cake. Mm -hmm. And but that's where, you know, that's where in those moments I can be really clinical about it. But then it's, you know, once now I'm doing the 10 minute wait between finger sticks and that's the only time that she lets me snuggle her is when she's low because she's 15 and she's, you know, grumpy. Um, I'm not about <laughs> to let you snuggle her any other time. It feels like, you know, like it's this blessing and a curse that that's the only time that I really get to actively mother her is when I'm also 
providing care for her. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. very, it's a very weird. And I mean, I'm glad I, I will say like in terms of just diabetes education and like when she, we were doing her pump class, like both Rich and I are, we're paramedics. We are pretty well educated. We have a great deal of privilege. Like the economic fallout of this disease is ridiculous, but you know, I, I think almost daily, how do people who have less education do this? And the, the fact is they end up calling us a lot Yeah. because God knows, you know, we've done those calls where, well, how much insulin did you take? Oh, a bunch. Okay. And you know, do you have an endocrinologist? Nope. Yeah. So, you know, we, we are very lucky in the resources that we have and the family that we have close by and the education that we have. And, you know, I was proud as punch because, um, I, I, well, we both for, for our call department, we do some of the medical training just because we have that higher level of certification, but she taught diabetes night for her explorers post. And I was really proud that, you know, even at 15, she can turn around and, you know, provide a a training on it, which was, you know, proud mama over here. Yeah. That's amazing. (laughs) Well, proud stepdad too over here. Just FYI. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So it it must make you kind of just approach everything a little bit differently, especially when you're dealing with diabetics. I know a lot of people don't understand that it's a diabetic. Is diabetic one of the first things that comes into your mind now when you see someone that's a little bit, you know, combative? Oh, yeah. Usually people think of drugs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, big time. And and just getting a lot of like making sure that fellow providers are educated about, you know, every altered mental honestly, there are a lot of nurses at facilities I would go to who they don't care if they're altered or not. Do you have a blood sugar? Because they're considering it a vital sign. And honestly, when she was diagnosed, it was missed at the first encounter because she she went into the hospital two separate times that day. Um, And it was missed because she was presenting for an infected finger. um, And had a finger stick been done that morning, they would have caught it without looking. But it's one of those things that I really like when, when I'm teaching, I'm like, dude, if, if you're taking a set of vitals and you have any altered, any like infection, any, anything, get, get the finger stick. What does it hurt? It's a little bit more information. Um, it's another rule out. It's another differential. And, and I'm sure some people would disagree that if it's not called for, don't do it, but I'm still sitting here going, it's a piece, it's a data point that helps you roll things out. Um, particularly based on our, you know, that personal experience of, it not being done because it wasn't quote unquote indicated. But I also, you know, so I really like pushed that the various presentations you can see, but also the lack of education, the lack of access that like a diabetic who's high for the third time that week, well, are they homeless? Do they have access to their medications? Are they waiting for insurance to actually refill their test strips because they were sick last week. And so they were testing t- 10 times a day because they had the flu right. versus the six times that they actually have a script written for, right. you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. People don't, what we get taught for the emergent treatment is uh, like the tip of the iceberg of what it actually takes to manage the disease day to day. Right. And I don't think a lot of EMS providers know the differences no, between long acting and short acting insulins and, right. um, you know, steroids are going to increase their their blood sugars and stress, PMS, right. um, the wind is blowing and Venus is in retrograde. Like it's, it's so nonsensical. What yeah. makes her numbers 
funky. Um, the rebound the effect of exercise, you know, like the, the rebound lows are so hard to predict because she'll do like a snack before she goes to bed if she's, you know, she's on the ski team. Um, so they have practice in, in the evenings and, um, that usually leads to really shitty overnight blood sugars. And sometimes it's cause they're too high and sometimes it's cause there's too low and there's really no rhyme or reason. Um, yeah. and it's very, very frustrating. You know, the number of times that, uh, you know, a partner du jour would be, you know, cause we have her CGM comes to our phones. Like, so we see, a on a five minute delay, but yep. We see real time glucose monitoring. She has a device implanted that Bluetooth to her phone that then sends her data to the cloud that we get on our phones. It's kind of amazing. That's really, that's really cool. Considering like, like a hundred years ago, we didn't have insulin. So like, Oh hell (laughs) five years ago when she was diagnosed, you had, she had to have a pager and she needed to be on Wi-Fi and it needed to be plugged into a dock. And now it's just on her phone in just five years. It's amazing. But I still feel like there's not enough push for actual cure. There's a lot of push for more devices that they can market, but that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. But it's it's very. Um, if I had a like a dollar for every you know person who was like, well, you know, what did she eat today? And I could you know bash my head against the windshield and be like, it's not about what she ate. Um, but then at the same time, when you've taken enough dialysis patients who are missing legs and teenagers are not it's very age appropriate for them to be kind of apathetic about their management and you know like I've done some really really bad like one of the first codes I worked was was hypoglycemia that didn't get caught and that was before she was diagnosed and let me tell you that that like that is what I saw that morning in the hospital You know, once you've dealt with those calls with no personal relationship and then all of a sudden one of your loved ones has this thing it you know, brought back all of those calls in a very weird, awful way. The first code 100 I did that I, the first code 100 that I did was, oh, sorry, and a code 100 is an obvious uh, dead person. We go into a house and there's clearly no signs that, there are signs that we can absolutely not resuscitate this person. They're very dead. They've been dead for a while. In, in, in the words of the princess bride, they are no longer mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, it was a diabetic who had, something had gotten screwed up and uh, he was a younger guy. Yeah. Uh, not someone you'd expect to be, you know, dead in his bed. Uh, it was unfortunate, but was what it was. And this was shortly after we had gotten our tickets. So around the same time that she was diagnosed. Very, also very shortly after she had been diagnosed. Yeah, you, I mean, Mira, not to gross you out because you don't like digits, but uh, <laughs> we talk about like the what did you eat today? And that's type 2 diabetes. That is the diet-induced stress on the pancreas that creates insulin resistance. And that's kind of what you see like in the older obese patients. And I had one that had uh, auto-amputated toes that fell out when we took their shoe off in the ER. Wow. That's, um, that's, that's delicious. That's great. I mean, it's just, it's poor lifestyle. And then, and so you assume that all diabetics are like that. But now, I mean, as a clinician, we know that there's even more than two types of diabetes. There's like type mm-hmm. 1A, type 1, like the, and I'm not even going to listen because I don't know enough about it to go into it, but there's all these new subsets of diabetes. There's there's so much that EMS could know more to help their patients. Mm-hmm. And I and unfortunately, we only learn these things through our own personal experiences. And, and you have to really seek them out because EMS education doesn't really follow you that much as other right. professions, unfortunately. 
Well, what I find really interesting, and I think this, you know, because obviously, well, although one coworker did tell me it was her flu shot that gave her diabetes, but that's a whole different, that was a different tantrum. Was that the same person that told you that cinnamon would cure it? No, different oh, people, different people. <laughs> and, you know, like, again, av- ev- evidence-based crunchy person, the, the children get all of their shots. <laughs> but And then you can have your cinnamon. <laughs> and then, then we can try the raw food diet, okay? But Ugh, not. <laughs> I know. Don't don't even get me started on on the things that make me twitch. <laughs> the FDA. But the thing, <laughs> the thing that I find really interesting, kind of about having a family member who has a really, it, it's a bad luck disease. Like she got yeah. a shitty hand, right? But at the same time, like I would hope I'm going to treat any diabetic regardless of the pathology and 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 is it a metabolic pathway or or an endocrine pathway i'm going to treat them yeah this the same and i'm going to treat them with the same basic like this could be my child this could be my mother this could be my grandma and i find it really interesting when you know when we let that like our job isn't to judge why people are in front of us as patients it's to just yeah. See what what is in front of us and then treat accordingly because dear Jesus, insulin is expensive. And all the times that you see that, you know, why are we giving away free Narcan? Well, quite frankly, if my child were were unconscious because she needed Narcan versus she needed glucose, I really don't care what she needs. Please give her what she needs. You know and, what I mean? Yeah. Like I I personally it's made me much more acutely sensitive to the whole, is this a sin disease? Like, you know, my, my grandpa, ostensibly, like he had, you know, heart disease and a chronic leukemia. And like, we all, I ate a cheeseburger a few years ago. Like, please still give me aspirin when I have chest pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I don't know. It just, it really, it kind of informed that I care less about why somebody, like how somebody got in front of me and just that like, this is a human that somebody else cares really deeply about, you know, got in her first ambulance. She was at a, she was rowing. She was at a regatta and she knew she was going down. She, she had six hours between races and six hours is about when her metabolic afterburn kicks in, in exercise. And she was at 290. And in about 15 minutes, she was in the forties. Oh God. And so she actually told her boat that she needed to pull up. She stopped in the middle of the race because she knew that she was about to, to pass out. And she couldn't walk. She couldn't ambulate off the dock. And she kept saying to them, give me five minutes. I just, she drank like close to a half pint of maple syrup. um, Because that's what she had with her. And um, she said, give me five minutes. Just, isn't it? Vermont specifically. (laughs) Well, she's a ski racer. And so that was, they would, you know, when she would like podium at ski races, she had a lot of maple syrup because that's what they give the kids. But she, she kept begging them to just give her a few more minutes. And they called you know, they called the, the EMS detail. And I will say like, Oh, did you scare that shit out of them though? They called because she, she's a minor. They called me on my phone 45 minutes away. And they were like, well, we're going to have to transport her. I was like, I do not give you permission to transport my child. You give her 10 more minutes and her blood sugar will be normal. Have you checked her blood sugar? They didn't check her blood sugar. What? I was horrified. They had never checked her blood sugar. They had gone off of what she had gotten off her uh, PDM. Her personal diabetes matter. And yeah, I was I was absolutely like somewhat horrified. But I told them, I was like, look, I, I am a medic. I know that it sucks. You're probably at the end of your detail, but I do not give you permission to transport my kid. I will be there in a half an hour. 
you do not have permission to transport my child. And because she was conscious, she was at that point, she was mentating very appropriately. She literally just needed five more minutes. But that's the nature of this beast, you know, that that she can be needing help one moment. And then and they took her anyways. Totally. No, they didn't. They they waited. Okay. I like I I was like, no, put me on the phone with your supervisor. Like they they gave me a little bit of pushback, and and then I was like, mm -mm, by that point, no, had you don't know who you're talking out of to. Them and they were they were kind of a little bit shaken by the time we got there. <laughs> um, in in the words of the, uh, I was very in the nice. words of the teenager, uh, they were on the phone with Mira, and uh, as and somehow a supervisor had gotten involved in this and was on scene with them, and as the EMT was passing the phone over to the supervisor. Uh, She's a medic. She knows her shit. I wouldn't mess with her and handed her the phone. <laughs> and, and I'm just, I, you know, hearing that from the teenager, I was just like, well, at least they knew what they were dealing with. Cause man, I, I know she knows her shit and I don't want to mess with her either. So I don't blame them. <laughs> Their blood sugars were dropping. <laughs> <laughs> either that or their stress response. The cortisol was making them rise. Oh, we don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I would just, I would just say that, um, it, at my uh, full-time job, there is a diabetic that I see somewhat frequently. And this guy, uh, for whatever reason, his blood sugars, actually there's two of them that we see rather frequently, but there's these, these guys, for whatever reason, their blood sugars are usually stable, but then we don't see them when they're stable. We see them when they're not stable for whatever reason it may be. And, um, you know, when you can sit down with these folks and have like a real legit conversation with them that they're probably not used to having with someone in the back of an ambulance, which is like, so like, how's it been going? How's your, like, how, how are things working with your CGM? Do you find that it's pretty accurate most of the time? Um, how's your A1C been? Like, you know, how have you, are you feeling your lows still? Yeah. Like did you dose appropriately? Did you eat something weird? Did you eat something you don't normally, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, being able to have like a conversation with these people as though they're real humans, as opposed to just the, the, the piece of meat in the back of the ambulance probably feels better to them. So that's where my head is always at whenever I'm taking care of a patient who's a diabetic. And, and that's, that's that's mostly because we've got this kid who's a diabetic and I would want her some I would want to have someone treat her the same way I'm treating this person. Well, and honestly, like I I almost find that it helps me help the families more because I remember doing a you know, the unconscious diabetic. We we woke this woman up, but her um child was on scene, um you know, an old enough child to to be like does does your parent have glucagon in the house? Well, yes, but I don't know how to use it. And so we got it, you know, once the patient was awake and had already like we'd called med control, gotten a refusal. But, you know, we pulled out the glucagon. Well, it was expired. So I actually had the kid practice using the glucagon in orange in an orange so that maybe the next time that mom was unconscious and we had gotten, you know, I had them call to get the prescription renewed so that they would have good glucagon to use and glucagon and their, know how to do it blood sugar better than it's like the equivalent of an EpiPen for a diabetic yeah. it's your emergency medication for an unconscious diabetic it's the the opposite hormone of insulin that will yeah. get the blood sugar going up without having to do sugar yeah. either IV sugar or oral sugar and it's amazing to me how many pa patients that I have seen where uh, a diabetic has gone unconscious on the fam with the family present and they have 
given the glucagon and they have then had the person's blood sugar go up to now we're arriving on scene and their blood sugar is 20. Oh, wow. When did you give the glucagon? Mm. Oh, we gave it about a half an hour ago. Holy shit. Like that's, that's a, that, that's an attention getter. Like what the hell was their blood sugar? Like how close, what, how close were you to like, you know, not being brought back from this? Yeah. Thank God they did it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's one that we've had a couple people where their blood sugar was 12. Those numbers seriously make me shake in my boots. One guy, his, his sugar was 16 one time and 12 the next time. And it's like, Man, this guy's—he's either cheating death or he's got some sort of agreement with someone, man. Because <laughs> I had someone seizing it at eight once. It was yeah, yeah, it was really bad. And you bring up a really excellent point of like sitting and talking to someone once they're kind of out of that low. It's the same thing with addiction in in EMS. You don't really see people that are doing well. You always see. Mm-hmm the worst of the disease but diseases are so much more than the acute phase of it people do get better people can be well managed for every disease but unfortunately ems only sees them at the worst moments of it and so you get these really tunnel visioned and skewed views of the people that have the diseases because you're seeing them at the worst moments and especially the sin diseases like you talked about that we mm-hmm. you know addiction and why am i wasting my narcan on these people which is total bullshit they're a human being and what's a sin disease though like is hypertension a sin disease because i like cheeseburgers a little bit more I'm a, well that's like exactly what it is food. i everything can be a sin disease um but people like to kind of classify them as things that they think you know oh there are acceptable diseases yeah. that you quote unquote cause yourself. And then there are the diseases that it's acceptable to judge people for. Right. Yeah. And, and, and EMS is not great at remembering that people are humans, even when they may have made bad choices. And sometimes mm-hmm. those bad choices are made because your brain has pathways in them that are rerouted because of certain things. And you kind of, so I could go on a rant about that having worked in addiction. But. Well, no, honest, honest to God, like I was, and, you know, God bless my parents for not believing this, but I was a throwaway kid. I, I was, I almost didn't graduate high school. I tried to commit suicide at 17 and was woke up in the back of an ALS truck, like, because I was really almost successful. I, I am a cat. I got given another several chances and I was able to actually make something of myself because people didn't see me only at my worst. People actually saw my own inherent goodness. And so I feel a little bit like, you know, in, in my service as a medic, that I've been given this opportunity to really honor the humanity that I find in front of me. And I will not say that I am like Mother Teresa in front of every, because I'm sorry, if you spit in my face and call me a cunt, I'm <laughs> still going to be courteous to you. But I'm not going to love you in that moment. Right. Um, but I'm going to be very firmly courteous. I'm going to be very firmly courteous <laughs> on you. Courteous through gritted teeth. Yeah. Exactly. But at the same time, I I definitely feel like it allows me to, I guess, remember that that if I'm going to say that this person is a throwaway, somebody said that about me. I was, you know, I wasn't. I made I made it. And yeah. other people can make it. So I really try to remember that in, in my own practice and kind of just in life, you know? None of us are perfect. And 
if anyone was to look at my life and judge it, there are plenty of flaws that you could certainly judge my life by, but I'm just not the one on the other side of the table. So it's, I try to remember that when I look at everyone. Now, some people are certainly jerks to me and I will, you know, get mad and rant about them, but it doesn't matter. You know, I got into this job because I want to help people. And even if you are the biggest asshole, I'm going to sleep at night because I'm going to be the better person. I'm going to give you the best care that you may not deserve, but you're going to get it because that's what I do. That's who I am. Well, and even, you know, again, like that whole may and people would criticize. I've had partners actually criticize me for being too soft and too, um, I guess, too bringing stuff home or, or bringing things from home to work. But, you know, my mother had a quad bypass mm. and um, I really struggled the night before her surgery. I struggled with the idea that, you know, she's my biological mother. So I heard her heartbeat when I was in her womb and there were, you know, my three other siblings are the only other people who'd ever heard that. And for some reason, the idea of the surgeon cutting her chest open and other people hearing her heartbeat really bothered me. And I know that that's probably maybe irrational, but it's how I felt. Wow. That's a really, like, just really, it's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. I don't know why that was it, but, but that's what really got me about this whole thing. And so in the, you know, the night before, um, the kids had come to like, give her the last kind of hug that they were going to be able to give her for a little while because her chest was going to be so, you know, sore split in half and then stapled back together and wired. Um, and so I, you know, crawled into her hospital bed with her and I laid with her and we talked and she said, you know, just make sure that you smile tomorrow morning. Cause I was going to, you know, be with her before they wheeled her in. She said, I just want to know that I have seen you smile one last time. And mm. so I took that with me and I started, you know, cause you'll, you'll have those patients that crump and, you know that they're boxing yep. and sometimes you don't know that they're boxing. So I just made it my habit that every patient, when I said goodbye to them, I would, you know, put my hand on their hand and look in their eyes and smile at them just in case, just in case that was the last thing that they saw, because that's what my mother wanted. And I can like, therefore honor my mother in that way by making sure that there's some human kindness for everyone. And that's like important to me. Yeah, I, I don't know. Well, no, no, that's, <laughs> it sounds that's silly, actually but... an interesting point because Mira's mentioning the fact that you never know when you might be the last thing someone sees. And I can think of two very specific examples, and there are probably more that I'm not thinking of. Was one of them the one that we did together? Okay, three. There are, oh, okay. There are now three different ex- Well, I don't think we were the last person that particular patient saw, but there was... The last one he was conscious for. Two. Well, okay, that's a good point. There were two patients that were without you, who I was the last person this person saw. And I, 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 we, we in EMS have our all, all have our interesting uh, PTSD moments and things. And it seems to me like the, the, this is the one that hits me the most is there's been two patients where uh, one person had a CVA and, which is a stroke. Yeah, mm-hmm. a stroke. <laughs> and for muggles, we have to translate for muggles. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm terrible at that. Um, <laughs> and one person, one woman, she was an elderly, like quite elderly, but was apart from this very healthy. And as we were 
bringing, she had fallen outside of her doctor's office and we bring her to the hospital because she's a little short on her oxygen. She's not terrible. We give her some oxygen, but her 12 lead looked really weird. And we were trying to get her to the hospital because we, we'd called in a STEMI alert. We had called in saying, Hey, this is what we've got. She's going to need some serious interventions and we're on our way. And as we, as my partner put the truck in reverse in the hospital ambulance bay, she looked at me and just went, <gasps> and then went into cardiac arrest. And I was like, and, and we had been, she and I had been chit chatting the entire way. And all of a sudden she just, she threw an absolute mega code at us and died. And it was like, holy shit. Like she and I were mm-hmm. chatting. She looked at me in the face, took one last breath and that was it. She was gone. And it was like that one, that one weighed a little heavy on me for a while. And then the other one was the woman that had the stroke. I was, um, I had brought her into the hospital we took her to the community hospital while she was there. They discovered that she was more than they could handle, but they were going to send her to the, the, the mothership. And while she was in the community hospital, you know, she just reached, she looked at me, she reached out because I had brought her in. Maybe there was some familiarity or something like that. She reached out, grabbed my hand with both of her hands and all of a sudden just went back onto her bed and closed her eyes. At that point, they intubated her, and this turned into a much more stat stat transfer. And again, same thing. Last person I saw before she was gone, and it was like that shit weighs heavy. Like <laughs> that, is, yeah. that is not something that I take lightly. No. And I've talked about that with a few people. I and I don't talk about that with a lot of people. Like, and that is something that I I try not to bring that up to muggles because they just. They're not going to, they don't get it. You can't, you can't know what that is unless you've been there. I don't think. I mean, how do you bring that up in conversation? And actually now that you, you mention it, that's, I had a call like that. And that's when I basically stopped working on the truck. Um, I started teaching. So I was, I was in grad school and I had gotten my um, RN and, but I was still like picking up hours here and there. And um, I was working BLS, but we had gone for just a transfer for someone that had pulled out a G tube, one of the feeding tubes that goes into your stomach. And, and so this was not in our regular service area. And I had a terrible partner. This terrible partner was in paramedic school. So he was almost done oh, too. And he was like a notoriously, he was a moron. So we go and it's just an easy transfer and it's these tiny city streets that are like one ways and cobblestones and it's snowy and the it's icy in the winter time and and um we go and we're talking to this lady and she's there with her like aide that doesn't know a whole lot but like she had pulled the tube out and so she just we had to take her to the hospital they're gonna replace it no big deal she go home and so we're trying to like just get her to stand and pivot to the stair chair and then we get her in the because st- the house is like one of those really old houses. <laughs> So we get her on the stair chair. We wheel her out through the bedroom door because you know how they all have like way too much furniture in them and the linoleum's like mm-hmm. yellowing and ripping up on the corners and they all have really, yes. he- <laughs> really heavy wooden chairs that like there's plastic on the table on the table. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm so seeing this- it in my head. I won't lie. <laughs> yeah. So you're moving everything around and the stretcher, like the back of the stretcher is down and the head's all the way up so you can fit in this tiny little room and you're trying to maneuver this lady around. Totally stable. She, I mean, this is like a, 
it had taken us like 45 minutes to get there because it was like rush hour with snow in the middle of the city. So we were in no hurry. And then all of a sudden, I am at the foot of the stair chair and my partner's at her head and she just looks at me and then she just slumps and then she soils herself and mm-hmm. she just, she codes. Oof. Yep. And she had been talking with me, but my partner was really terrible. And this ended up being a really terrible code. So I was like, she just, she's unresponsive. And he goes, what? And I'm like, she's, she's unresponsive. And he goes, no, we're doing a transfer. And I was like, no, like, (laughs) I think, I think she's just coded. Like we got to step it up because we didn't have any gear with us because you don't bring in your, your first in or your AED or your oxygen when you're doing a transfer, you don't need anything. And so I was like, feel a pulse because I was like under her legs like trying to get her up and he's like what are you talking about and I was like okay screw it just get her on the stretcher so we're trying to like lift her body up onto the stretcher and then we're trying to get her out and then I feel a pulse and then she like kind of had a pulse still but she wasn't breathing and of course we had nothing to breathe for her with us so I was like let's just get her out and the back driveway of this like triple deca kind of place we (laughs) yeah it was a hill and it was pure ice and I was like is there any salt here? We need to salt this because this is a, we have a wheeled cot with a dead lady on it. And it's just, we got like 30 feet to go and it's black ice and it's just dark because it's nighttime. And I was like, we need salt. And my dumbass partner just starts looking at this, this aid. Do you have a cat? Do you have a cat? And he just starts freaking out. <laughs> like it clicks that this is a code. Oh my God. And he's screaming at this woman. Do you have a cat? And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> wrong with you he's like, <laughs> i was like who cares if they have a cat he's like we need kitty litter and i was like no we need salt <laughs> like whatever we need a fucking we just, cardiac monitor <laughs> we, need, a PVM, we, something. We, we need to just get to the truck and we need a portable right. and we need to, he's, he's just he's yelling and this woman's like we don't have a cat do you see is there a cat in here and i'm going oh my god just get us very slowly down this pure ice hill so <laughs> we eventually we get we get in the truck so we i get her in the back and then he's running circles around the truck and i don't know what he's doing i was like get on the radio tell them we need als we're not in our service area we need other service medics to help us with this and in that area you're getting some salty fucking medics man well the regular city medics weren't available even worse so we and we got another service and so from up north anyways so i was like screw it let's just go so she still had a pulse and so i'm start breathing for her and like her it was just such a mess and then she codes and I'm doing CPR by myself, and he gets lost. Oh, dear oh my God. God. He gets lost in this city, and we're trying to get an intercept with these other paramedics, and he's arguing with the dispatcher about where we're going, and he's trying to use a GPS that's just spinning in circles, and the dispatcher can see the GPS on the truck, and they're like, no, take a left, go to this hospital, and or meet them here, and he's fighting with them on the radio, and everyone could hear oh it. And eventually, <sighs> we're driving north, when we're supposed to be driving south to the big city hospitals and I'm working a BLS code by myself in the back of this ambulance after we meet up with these medics. They're like, took us a long time to find you. And I was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) Anyways, she, she died. And I think, and um, after that, I was like, I'm not, I'm just going to go to the training center. I'm fucking done with this shit. There's it's, 
really interesting because I definitely, I had a call that made me make a, a hard pause for a while. It was actually the first time that a call has like, like I, I was at the point where I was like having smell hallucination from the scene. Mm. Like, cause I had to stand in this like puddle. It was a, a car accident. Oh, don't and short. We were in like gasoline. a foot of water and it was soaked in gasoline. It was, it was a, it was yes. a legit thing. So, and, and so it was in my boots and my socks and, and the s- straps of the stretcher oh, got yeah. like our entire truck smelled like gasoline. And, you know, we brought the patient to the community hospital cause that's, that was the closest appropriate. Well, and at the time it didn't seem like anything it was well i knew he was like i knew he was banged up like he was legit banged up we had work to do to stabilize him on the way and then we had turned like we'd left the hospital and we'd gotten maybe i don't know through one traffic light and then we got turned around to go do the stat and i was like we'll take it simply because he's covered in gasoline and so are we still we we had cleared out of service for decon and they said, after we cleared, they said, hey, can you guys do a stat transfer for that same patient? We said, well, we sort of can. I mean, we need decon, but it's okay, all fine. decon that he's covered in anyway. So I guess we can. I'm sure OEMS would hear that and have a shit fit and I wouldn't blame them. But <laughs> yeah, well, the, the tough thing was that I sold, I sold to medical control. I like painted a phenomenal picture of why we needed to get that guy on the road right now and then he got sent to the scanner for like 45 minutes and then he coded in the scanner Mm. and then at that point I have now lost my medical control okay to transport and you know it's pouring down rain and it's a 45 in the best case scenario 35 minute drive to big city hospital but now it's pouring down rain and our medical control wouldn't authorize it at that point and the doctor looked me in the face and said, well, thanks, medical control, you just killed him. And it was, it was absolutely the most like terrible moment of my professional life. Because I'm standing there in soaking wet boots that stink of gasoline. And the doctor just told me that I killed the guy. And, and so we went back to work. Well, the hard thing with that night, and Rich, I don't know if you remember this, but our, our daughter had a pump failure that night with her dad, and she was coming back to our house and she didn't realize it, but she was out of insulin. Mm -hmm. So then I go from this, you know, five hour long extravaganza of a call where my boots still smell like gasoline to now I'm on the phone with the insurance company trying to get medication for my daughter called in emergently. We have to drive 45 minutes away to the only open, you know, pharmacy to pick this stuff up. And now her blood sugars were in the 700s that night. So we went from literally from crisis to crisis you know, and I never got to decompress. I never got to like, we never debriefed after that call. And normally, that'd be a, a debrief, but we went from call to kid. Yeah. And uh, probably about 10 days later, I realized I hadn't slept more than like three hours any night, and that I was waking up smelling gasoline. And I was like, Oh, I'm in a really bad, bad way. And so I like I had to take a break after that. I had already left full time because of scheduling when when Rich went to the fire department that he's on. And then all of a sudden we needed like all of these days of childcare. So I ended up getting a muggle job, mm-hmm. which is, you know, regular bankers hours. And it was such a godsend because I absolutely needed to take a break. I think it broke my brain a little bit, that call. But 
now I'm like back to the point where I super enjoy teaching. I love. And she does a phenomenal job of it. I, I get excited about providing patient care, but I'm not necessarily afraid of the call. Any, like for a while there, you know, you get afraid of the call mm. when, when you've had a real trauma trigger like that, yeah. because I've always kind of like felt like, like EMS is for me, and this is just my personal experience, but EMS is best when you can consider yourself like a midwife where you're like holding the space, like almost like being like a lifeguard for, for the space whether it's for the patient or for the family where you can like help usher them through whatever transition they're in the midst of. Yeah. You know, whether it's like holding the hand of someone who woke up to their dead spouse and dear God, Rich, you're not allowed to die in bed. That's okay. my biggest fear. I, that That's like my thing. I check yeah. my boyfriend every time I wake up in the middle of the night, I make sure he's breathing. It's like my, I, we've done so many of them. And I think I've mentioned in the podcast before, like we do it all the time. Yeah. Well, there was there was one where, where the, yeah, the gentleman had left his, you know, spouse of many, 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 many years. He'd left a note on her bedside table. The donuts are in the fridge, love, on her bedside table, and then proceeded to die in the other room. And and so when she woke up and we were in the house, and the daughter-in-law was like, "You have to explain to her what happened. I can't do it." So she actually like had me sit with her for like five minutes and just talk about how he died and what I could garner from it, from the scene. And, you know, was he in pain? It doesn't appear that way, you know? And, and she just kind of sat with me with this note in her hand. And, um, and that was one of those, like, you know, you go home and dude, I don't care if you didn't get the mail. He always gets the mail. Um, you know, I, I don't care if your socks are on the floor. Um, yeah. like it, you know, the donuts are in the fridge like that that to me is like that's where this really gives me so much gratitude for for the work that we both do so that we can understand kind of the like the impact because we get to see these tiny little splices of people's lives and yeah or the ends of their lives or or these you know big moments or or their little moments but they feel big to them we get these tiny little splices and it just it's to me, it's been like this incredible kaleidoscope, like human experience. And it's just really enriched my relationships, Yeah, which I'm really grateful for, even though it comes with, a, I feel like it comes with a price. It also, I feel like it makes it where we're able to kind of take a little bit of perspective. Like, oh yeah, wow. Things really didn't go well today. Oh, cool. Is anyone dead? Right. Like, are we, are we all like going to bed still breathing tonight and we woke up breathing the next morning all right well then i guess it could have been a lot worse like you know ultimately you know we, we can the the day could have gone a lot worse for everybody and i, I that's kind of how i look at everything and i think sometimes it drives mira a little bit nuts because i'm just i'm very i look at it very practically that way like hey we all yeah sorry the dog shit on the floor but like you know what um everybody didn't die. So I don't know, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but it's like, that's how I, that's how I look at things. So it helps me anyway. <laughs> I am, I agree with you, Mira, in the, you get to see this kaleidoscope and you get to see these little snippets of life. And I, I love those moments of seeing the beauty in someone else's life. And I think I feel things very deeply having worked mm -hmm. in this field 
for better or for worse. Like there are some things I'm very blunted to, but I think I feel the happier moments much more deeply and I don't feel the sad moments nearly as much as anyone else would having done this. But like I'll come home and being like, oh my God, these people said something today and it was just the sweetest thing ever and I I love what I do because of it. And it's usually you go, okay, that doesn't really seem like it's so much, but it's like I felt like I really helped someone today or this was like a really big moment for them and I'm so happy for them and I'm – they don't really know me that well, but I'm such a cheerleader for them and I I really feel their joy because I've really seen so much sorrow. I think – and this was actually something that really helped me get through when I was going through my – I mean, I don't know if anybody listening has been through a divorce, but (laughs) – there's no. really not There's that fun. There's three of us on the podcast at this moment who have gone through one. So yes. that. <laughs> Super not fun, but, you know, life 2.0 is pretty fucking awesome. So I'm happy about it. Yeah. Life has never been better after being divorced. Right. <laughs> but, you, but you had to like walk through the fire to get there, yeah, right? exactly. But the thing that I kept repeating to myself while I was, you know, going through a divorce and going through medic school, and they both took about the same amount of time, it was like gestating a goddamn elephant. (laughs) (laughs) That 20, 23 months, at least. Yeah, it was terrible. But I just kept repeating to myself, you know, you can only feel as much joy as you experience pain. Yeah. And I think that like my experience in EMS has really encapsulated that you know from like you you get great days and then you get really terrible days but it's it it's almost like it tunes you to the human experience yeah you know and and it's really helped me live so much more fully and and appreciatively and it like that Kurt Vonnegut quote that you know I won't let the world make me hard when I started as a as a new EMT I had one partner who was like no you've got to harden up you've got to toughen up you know, and this was not a very happy person. No. And I was like, I don't want to be like that. And then I had the the great fortune of having another senior partner who was like, no, man, feel the feels like be human with these people. And, and his whole thing was he was not there for the medicine at all. He likes talking to people. And he was one of the best EMTs I've ever worked with in my life. He's one of the best humans we've ever met. He really is. gave me permission to have a human experience as a provider. And I think that that was one of the greatest gifts I've ever been given. And that doesn't mean weakness. Exactly. It made me stronger. I, I can feel things very deeply, positively and negatively, and still be tough as nails and absolutely fierce when I need to be. But, and it's, and it's because I have experienced these joys and because I've experienced the sadness that I am protecting that happiness. It's not out of a bitterness. It's because no, you can't do that thing that's unjust. It's it, it's a quest for more happiness. It's, you know, and like those people that are so bitter and burnt out and they're like, "Oh, I'm I'm going to mistreat other humans in my job that's about caring for people." It's like, "No, you're you can't do that." Like that's it's not why we got into this. And you're just, you're going to burn out and you're going to be miserable. That, I, I hate to say this because it, it really makes me sound like extra super jaded in our little jaded corner of the world. But it seems almost to me like one huge difference that I've seen between private EMS and what I do with municipal EMS is in the municipal job, the people are like 
positive and they want good and they want to like they want to help improve the situation of what we're doing and in private ems people are bitter and angry and they want to bitch about what's wrong not necessarily fix it and it's like hey you know guys ultimately we're here for patient care and if you're interested in helping patient care like start with start with number one you can't it seems like it's tough to treat your patients right if you're angry with your own self i hate to get too but i really 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 feel like it's easy for you to say that now that you're out oh it's so much easier to say that now that i'm out oh my god because you you were never a dispassionate provider but you were a salty, crusty, miserable motherfucker when you got home. Well, it's also the job. Like, they don't treat you well. Exactly. They're like, not treating their employees well. I was miserable, too. That's why I left. Yep. That's why people leave. Yeah. That, that's why I took a pay cut to work in a totally different field because the schedule was more flexible and I feel like I'm actually important as a human. And yet I had taken a 50% pay cut to get into that job like when i started as an emt my pay cut my rather my pay rate dropped by about 50 percent um and it was like it, it was a tough adjustment um but i i enjoyed what i was doing and being able to do it for people so much more than it gave you so much more purpose. driving trucks and dropping you know giant loads of gravel into job sites like fuck that i'd rather be helping people in some way it took a long time to actually figure out the best way to help people i think that's just kind of the nature of our jobs yeah but you know ultimately i feel like i'm doing a much better job now than i did then and i feel like the best i can do is improve that day to day you know i mean every day you learn something you learn something about yourself you learn something about medicine and I think you learned something about humanity. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. my job, it's weird because my job has helped me personal things. Like I had my, my father, I think I mentioned how my father was older. Well, he died almost five years, five years ago. I'm forgetting if it's four or five. I know the date. I, I, you know, I had a a patient who um, ultimately at the end of my dad's life, he was requiring dialysis or, or not. And ultimately the choice was his as to whether he wanted it or not. And kind of like a non sequitur, like I I knew that he was going into this, but maybe two weeks before he really needed to make a decision, I had a patient that I was transporting back. This is when I was BLS. I had a patient that I was transporting back from her dialysis at the end of the day. And she was someone that, you know how it is with dialysis patients. You see them twice a week, whether you need to or not. And some of them you like, and some of them you tolerate. You tolerate. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, and, and she was one of the ones that I started out tolerating and then grew to like. And then the more I dealt with her and took her, the more I was like, oh, she's a really nice lady with a very fascinating history. And she's cool. And she wants to talk to us. And that she'd probably dealt with so many of us salty shitheads that she was like, ah, I just don't want to talk to them. And you know, that was why she got this reputation is. And then when you finally like got to break through this crusty exterior, she was like warm hearted and everything. And one day we, we get her back to her skilled nursing facility and there was a problem with her bed. So we wound up sitting there for like an hour and a half while they tried to find another bed for her because that was how together this place was. And, 
at some point she's laying on our stretcher and she's, you know, we get to talking to her and she just goes, oh, this is a miserable experience. This is just a terrible existence. I wouldn't wish this on anyone. It's awful. And I, and we were kind of like, like this place, like being stuck on our stretcher. I'm really sorry. Like, she's like, no, just having this dialysis three times a week, just fucking sucks. And I was like, wow. Um, I'm sorry to hear all that. Like, you know, if you want, like, do you want me to have someone that can talk to you? She's like, no, I'm, I'm okay. I just, you know, thanks for listening and this and that. And I'm like, Hey, I'm here, you know, I'm not going anywhere. But she wound up like really making me realize that doing that is, can be a miserable experience for people. So fast yeah. forward literally two weeks and my dad is having to make the decision about, is he going to have dialysis or not? And it was like, Jesus, dad, uh, from what I've seen and what I know and what like someone literally told me two weeks ago, I don't think it's worth it, man. You know, you're almost 90 and you've, you know, you've lived a good life and whatever. And the choice is of course yours. And I'm not saying don't do it, but I'm not going to tell you, you should do it either. And, and what's it going to gain you time-wise? You know, he goes, well, what'll it gain me? Maybe five years. I said, maybe, maybe five years, maybe 10 years. You never know. Probably five years if you're lucky. And he kind of looked around. He's like, what, five years of laying here shitting in my bed? Uh, I'm all set. Like, I don't need that. And it, it to watch him make that decision was kind of the saddest thing. It was thing. very difficult. But I was really happy that I had Mira by my side as we made that, you know, had that conversation with him, for one thing. But I was happy that it was a decision that he was able to make on his own and well-informed. Yeah. Because I wouldn't. I wouldn't want anyone to make that decision without knowing. And I'll add this little disclaimer. For some people, dialysis is a lifesaver and it does continue their lives for many years. And and there, there are certain people where it's an appropriate, right. an appropriate choice. And, you know, if somebody's fully informed, then they get to make those decisions. Right. But it definitely was a very interesting, like... You know, and and now, like, if her kidneys fail in her 30s, like, I'm going to look at her and be like, you may want to consider this until you can get a transplant, dear. You know what I mean? And there's also peritoneal dialysis that you can do while you sleep. Like, there's other options than just... Than what we see. Right. You know, again, the the little sliver that we see that can make people feel very negative about life. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it was very interesting because Rich was having that conversation with his dad and I was present for it. And I, you know, I had really just met his dad kind of in the last year of his life. But it was at the same time that, you know, my grandpa went home to die in hospice. And you know how, like, how many people have we seen die? Like, I've totally lost count. And a lot of those deaths weren't very nice. Yeah. But like those two experiences, like they, that conversation with Rich's dad and then my grandfather's actual death was like some of the most like beautiful and, and like sacred times, you know, those last 48 hours were absolutely precious. And, and besides the birth of my two children, like that was the closest to God that I've ever felt was sitting with him when he died. And, you know, I don't think I would have known what a good death was if I hadn't seen bad ones. Yeah. You, you, in EMS, you don't get to see a lot of good death. But when you do no. see it, you really get to appreciate it. And you get to know like what to look for. And mm-hmm. having left EMS and obviously done other things, I get to see it a lot more now. And it's just it, – you're right. It is, it's beautiful to see the comfort and 
you know, I was talking to Anna, obviously, on the episode about being in hospice, and yep. it's, yeah. they they do wonderful things. Oh, dude, I cried during that episode. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, because my, you know, my grandmother, who's, who's now almost 90, and, and, you know, she, her husband died five years ago, and she, as soon as he died, and she kind of, you know, spent a couple of months mourning, she went right to that hospice association and she volunteers for them now and so when she was talking about that on that episode I was like sitting waiting for my daughter to finish her training for the ski team with tears streaming down my face in the car Um, because you know this anniversary was coming up and and it, it was it was a very difficult one that was like that was a tough it was tough but beautiful and amazing and you know it was a well-timed episode for, for that anniversary to come up. <laughs> it was, it was, that wasn't, that was a tough, that whole experience for us was, was rough because we had three weeks between her grandfather and my father dying. And, oh no. And we just missed, we were supposed to go see dad and he died then like we were supposed to get on a plane at 6 a.m. and he died like at 11 p.m. You want to talk about, you want to talk was, about uh, like fucked up patient and family interaction stories i'm in the back of the fucking ambulance transporting another dialysis patient oh by the way she uh i'm in the back of the truck my dad calls me as i'm transporting and it was kind of like later in the day too so it seemed a little weird and i i looked at my phone and i was like hey um I wouldn't normally take a phone call when I'm with a patient, but do you mind if I take this call from, and she looks at my phone. She says, it says dad on your phone. Yeah. Take the call. I'm like, okay. So I'm in the back, I'm talking to him. And of course this lady is a friggin' hoot. She's just like, Hey pop, how's it going? How's Florida? You having a good time? And I'm just like, Hey, could you keep it down? Like I'm trying to talk to my dad here. So, you know, we're having this conversation and then it wound up being the last conversation I had with my dad. Oh my God. Up until he died, he was like with it. He was, you know, as we as we like he to say, alert and oriented times three, all the time, and an enormous flirt to the end. Oh yeah. Oh god. Oh yeah. Oh, funny stories <laughs> on that, like that we could just go on endlessly. Um, but I think we could probably go on endlessly anyway. I have a feeling. Yeah. It's true. But he, uh, he's like, hey, you know, I just was wondering when you're coming by here. And I was like, coming what? He's like, yeah, aren't you coming in? I said, yeah, um, I'll be in in a couple of days. He goes, oh, oh, are you you're doing some other stuff while you're in Florida? I'm like, yeah, I'm flying to Florida on Saturday. Well, this is on Wednesday. And he died on Friday night. And that sucks. Oh, God. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. And the facility called and left a oh, voicemail. Left a voicemail on, on my sister's cell phone. Sister's phone. It was like oh, if yeah, you ever have to do a wild. death notification, don't do it. Never. Don't do it via yeah. voicemail. <laughs> I'm pretty okay. sure that's in the training no. somewhere. Or text message. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I do it by Snapchat. Snapchat. You can put okay. an emoji. You is there a Grim Tweet. Reaper emoji though? Tweet. Like I think there should be a Grim Reaper. <laughs> it's a little skull. Oh my god. Oh my god. For real. Well, <laughs> we have talked about so many dark subjects. Do you have like your happiest, most rewarding EMS moments? Do you have any of those? Like, quick- those? oh my god, um, it's like a really just a feel good moment when we met each other at the fire department. Mira, Mira just vomited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ex- excuse me while I grab a mint. Um. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll be right there. Some Zofran. Oh wow, we are fucked up. We came up with all these terrible stories, and we can't come up with like. Well, it's our no, positive I mean. Moment. I um I had the the 
pleasure of working in kind of a, a lovely seaside community. <laughs> and I worked there for a while, uh, over a year, and I had a really great partner on yeah, that shift. And there was a, a local Starbucks that we would go into to get coffee in the morning after, you know, after we did our little morning routine. And one day, a patient's adult child actually approached me in the Starbucks. And I'll tell you what, I, honest to God, don't remember this patient. I don't know who this was. But the daughter came up to me and said, you helped my mother, like nine months ago. And thank you so much for what you did. You know, she she felt so cared for. And that is one of the few times that I've actually like, had the big thank you. Yeah. And it really, it, it just kind of drove home that whole, people really don't care if I know the protocols. I know I know the protocols, but they really give a fuck about how I make them feel. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, know the protocols so that you can make people feel like you really give a fuck about them. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my feel good. And, and non, non-EMS people, thank your EMS providers. They need it. They really do. <laughs> thank your nurses, but thank your EMS providers because you see people so fleetingly that yeah. like you're whisked off somewhere else. And like the thing I would hate the most is like you would sweat and you would just be like panting and everything and you would bring someone back from the dead in this coat or whatever and you drag them out of a car wreck or whatever and, and yeah. you turn them over and they would go, oh, the fire department saved them and we were different than the fire department and they'd be like, right, exactly. Oh my God, they, uh, they, they didn't even like show up until no. like we were done and like, it's not that I want a gold star. It's not about glory, it's, but a, a little thank you goes a long way. All right, well, I'm going to wrap it up because it's... <laughs> Like, it's really like, you have to go to work. Yeah, have to be at work in eight hours. <laughs> well, thank you guys so, so much for talking with me. Rich, you left like one of the first reviews for the podcast, and it meant so much to me. Huh. So thank you guys so, so much. And anyone else is listening, please leave a review for the podcast. It really helps out. It would mean a lot to me. Share the podcast. That would be great, too. And... If you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can reach out to me on Twitter at Antidotes Pod. My Twitter is Christine the NP, although I don't really use it. Uh, Instagram is Antidotes Podcast. And the Facebook group, which Mira plugged earlier, is Antidotes Stories in Medicine Group. There's also the page, which is similar, but not nearly as cool as the group, which is pretty exclusive. And then the group is pretty awesome. (laughs) It's an honor to be a part of the group. <laughs> well, I'm going to be posting the episode and then everyone can maybe ask you guys questions or just chat about uh, the episode when it airs. And as always, thank you to Peter Hopkins for the amazing custom intro music. And anyone who wants to reach out to me, you can always do so through social media or send me an email at antidotespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>